Hi, I'm Nicole Davidson, and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, the show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error. We see what works, discard what doesn't, and if we're lucky, we'll have a few good mentors along the way. In this podcast, we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors. Enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions. In today's episode of Negotiation in Real Life, I speak with Alex Morris, the founder of To The Moon Digital. After more than six years in the coaching and social media marketing space, plus a personal investment of over $150,000 into world-class mentors, courses and certifications, Alex has helped clients to create millions of dollars in sales and lead generation in the coaching space. In this episode, we chat about the difference between B2B and B2C negotiations, using the five whys to get to a yes, dealing with buyer's remorse, things that don't help in building negotiation skills, the difference between influence and manipulation, personal and professional negotiations, the downsides of ego, the importance of authenticity and honesty, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Welcome to the show, Alex. It's lovely to meet you today. Thank you, Nicole. Lovely to be here. Now, Alex, we're going to talk about some of your various experiences in negotiation as a business owner, as a digital marketing specialist. Before we get into that, I wonder if you'd like to just give a brief introduction to people about who you are and what your background is. I'd love to. Yes, my name is Alex Morris. I'm in Sydney, Australia with my wife and lovely twin baby daughters. I uh, currently run a digital marketing agency for coaches and consultants that's been going for about two years called To The Moon Digital. Before that, I ran my own uh, health and nutrition coaching business for five or six years with varying levels of success. So uh, yeah, I've had a a pretty big spectrum of um, experience in the coaching space. Firstly, congratulations on the twin girls. I'm also a mother of twins. And um, let me tell you, you have many negotiations in your future. Anyway, we detract ourselves from what we're talking about, negotiations. So I'm really interested. I mean, what are some of the kinds of negotiations that you've had to deal with over your career? And, you know, what are the ones that perhaps you find the most challenging? I think for me, it was the, the reason I was so excited to talk to you was that I've, I've really gone from being a sole trader doing B2C, working with clients and customers in that health space, to being a kind of a, a business owner working with other businesses. And I've noticed that when you're negotiating and selling uh, services to these people, it's a very, very different discussion when it comes from a B2C space to a B2B space. And um, back in the, the coaching period of my life, when it was me running a program where it would be you and I just work together for 12 weeks or six months or a year to work on your health and fitness goals, the negotiation was always based around emotion, always on emotion because everyone knows they need to be a little healthier and everyone knows generally the process is to get there. But it's uh, whether or not you can get people into a state where they believe it's so important. 
uh, is whether or not you can get that sale. You can negotiate your way to an agreement. And so what I became really, really good at was pulling on those emotions and, and tweaking what was difficult for people. Um, not in a, I, I don't think it was in a, you know, particularly sleazy or, you know, pushy way, but when someone needs to make a big decision to actually, you know, make a big change in their life, you've got to get them feeling emotional in those points to realize where they're at now is where they're going to stay. Uh, and that's not going to feel good in 12 to 60 months time. And so, so how did you do that? What were the techniques that you used that help you to get that emotional buy-in to get the yes? I think the, the five whys, uh, as in not the letter Y, but the, the word Y. And that was always great. So when you often say to someone, why do you feel like you want to lose weight? The first question, the first answer is often something relatively superficial. That's not going to get them to change. And that can be anything from I want to look good on my wedding day or I put on weight since my kids were born or I, uh, I'm going holiday, that sort of thing. And I want to look better for the holiday. Why is that important to you? Oh, because my, uh, you know, I, I put on weight after my kids and now I, I don't fit into my old clothes anymore and I want to be able to fit into them. Why is that important to you? Oh, because I felt like um, I've lost control of my myself a little bit since I've become a mum. And why is it important to you to get control back? Well, I, uh, I never had much control as a kid because I was moved around a lot um, and I, I really want to feel confident again. And, and why is that important to you? I've never felt confident in my whole life, you know? And when you get to that point, it's like, oh my goodness. Okay, so this is the reason you're going to get off the couch and do something. So I, I think um, most people in that B2C space and that customer interaction, when it's something as personal as a health journey, they're not coming in uh, with the real reason they want to do it. And often they don't actually know the real reason they want to do it until it's dug out of them. A lot of people have their answers somewhere in the back of their mind. And it's, uh, it's knowing not to take someone's first answer at face value. I love it. And it's that idea that, you know, if you're negotiating, you've got to understand what the other person's interests are so that you can actually put something forward that's going to meet those interests. But as you said, sometimes people don't even know what they are. So the five whys, I love that as a technique for actually getting to those underlying interests, you know, just keep digging until sure. you really get down to what is, what is this actually about because now you've got the information to be able to show them whether what you've got to offer is going to achieve that big why for them or not. I love it. Yeah, and it was a, it was a funny one because it sounds awful to say, but they, there was a big correlation between socioeconomic factors and people that have got them, themselves in real trouble with their health. And often it's because they've been raised in a position where they didn't have great information or great role models in that space. And so when it comes to a point of, you're going to need to actually pay to learn to make this change. A lot of the time, that emotion had to be really, really heightened to the point where they can commit some money that they really don't believe that they have or that they don't believe that they can uh, allow themselves to spend. They, they feel selfish spending, that sort of thing. And so for me, often to help these people who I really, really wanted to help because no one's really focusing on the the down and out people, I felt really lucky and I felt like I really could offer something to these people that wasn't, you know, a generic 
calorie counted meal plan. I thought I could change some lives and I, I feel like I did. But when you're in that point and they're thinking they're freaking out about money, you've got to make the pain and the emotion higher than the pain of losing the money. And this is the, when I ran into problems, I could do that like a machine on the phone. I had a system. I could get people sobbing and saying, yes, I'm so ready to change. Here's a deposit. Problem is when they wake up the next day in the cold light of day, that emotion is no longer there, but the pain of spending the money still is. And that's often where the negotiation begins again. <laughs> you have the freak out or the, the buyer's remorse, so to speak. This is an interesting point as well, isn't it? Because I guess knowing that it's something that you need to deal with on the phone. And it's interesting because I do a lot of commercial mediation work. And one of the things that I do at the end when we get to an outcome knowing that generally the outcome of a mediation is not your best case. It's something you can just tolerate and live with. And I often talk to people before they leave the room to say, you are going to go away and reconsider this. And you might see this in a different light, or you might talk to someone else who goes, why on earth did you agree to that? Hmm. And so I sort of then preempt them into saying, well, you've got to remember what was said at the time, what you're feeling at the time, all of the information that was provided to you that led to this um, decision so that you can continue to feel comfortable. And, and, you know, I think that's something that it's very different. I think, you know, as you said, it's very personal for people who are on limited budgets and this is really significant, but that, that ability to preempt what could change in their minds can help. Yeah. Pre-handling those objections of, of pre-framing the freak out is what I used to call it. Yeah, and absolutely. When, once I started pre-framing the freak out to people on the phone, the whole business changed because they would still wake up the next day, you know, sometimes and you get the message, hi, Alex, I can't do a long text message. Things have come up and I give them a ring and say, Belinda, we talked about this, right? We knew this was going to happen. And uh, let's think about it really. And then you've got your list of whys, why they wanted to do this. And you know, money's going to come back, health is not. And just um, bringing them back to the desires and the pain points in a much more toned down sense the next day where they can take it more logically, that really worked. So I'm glad you said that because I kind of forgot that I used to do that. But when I did, my whole business changed. So you said that you've noticed the real difference moving from B to C to B to B. Mm -hmm. Tell me what are the key differences that you've changed and how have you had to change your style? When I used to make sales for my coaching B2C business, if someone left the phone call without buying, they were never coming back because there's so many reasons. It's like when you are trying on a shirt in a shop and you tell the assistant, oh, I'm just going to have to think about it. <laughs> they're you gone. never are, are you? <laughs> no, they're gone forever. And I knew that on the phone. With a business, um, it's, it's, a, it's just a numbers decision, really. You know, if you say, I can do this, you spend this and I'll help you to grow by this much. It's a numbers decision. It's logical. Sure, there's some emotion connected to it, but most of the time it's just a, you know, numbers in, numbers out decision. So you've got to let people off the phone, give them a few days to think about it. Sometimes one day, sometimes two weeks. And that at the beginning was very, very nerve wracking for me to say to leave a negotiation without a deal without pen on paper or a deposit in the bank because I've never done that because that meant a lost sale for me. In B2B, my, a lot of the negotiation now lies on the strength of a proposal that you've put together, incentivizing people to move quickly. Um, but then also just 
having that trust in your own service and the trust that they're the right people for you, that you can sit back, send a proposal off, say, um, have a think about this. Let's talk again in three days time. And so I think just the urgency is gone. And what that means is while that softer deal making may not bring on as many clients, you know, on the day, what it does is it brings on the right clients and it actually is a much longer term, better outcome for everyone because everyone's had a chance to think about it. And if they still come back, then it means it was meant to be. And look, I'm assuming that you're also in a space where you can spend that time. You know, when you're doing B2C, you've got a larger volume of clients of smaller values. So you can't spend as much time bringing everyone in. Um, whereas you might take that softer, softer approach with a B2C if you had the time to spend, but they're just not worth it. Whereas B2C, you're talking higher value, so you can invest a bit more time to actually do that transaction properly. Absolutely. And I used to celebrate every coaching sale with the same amount of emotion that I think the person had on the other end of the phone. I'd be like, oh my goodness, text my fiance at the time, made a sale, boom. And most of the time I got a hundred dollar deposit and uh, they were going to be on a payment plan of $63 a week or something. But for me, I'd also heighten the emotion there. And it was like, oh my goodness, for, for B2B, when I have a, um, a coach or a consultancy company coming on and saying, yeah, we'd love to achieve these things with your marketing agency over the next six months, um, it's like, oh, fantastic. You know, <laughs> that's lovely. Let's move forward logically. And it just feels like uh, a much more mature way of selling. It feels like uh, there's a lot less stress on every phone call. I can lean back and feel comfortable. And I think that I, if I'd be able to sell like that in B2C, I would have had a lot, a very different business, I believe. So you've obviously you've been running your own businesses for a for quite a while and you've been out there having to rely on these negotiations for your success what have you done along the way to build your skills in negotiation a very good question because i've kind of i've gone through lots and lots of different waves of who i listen to and what sort of things i feel i need to learn and i think it's come with age it's come with my own confidences and insecurities along the way and so down the the initial end of my career when I was doing a lot of high energy, not high pressure sales, high energy sales, I was listening to the on-stage gurus of the internet, you know, Grant Cardone, the, the best salesman in the world, you know, he calls himself and he's, he's fantastic. He's a, he's a billionaire because he knows how to sell, but he's, he's all about closing, closing deals. And so I read all the books, I did all the seminars, I did all the uh, online courses. And then lo and behold, my negotiation style was the same as his, which doesn't always work. It might work at a car dealership in America. It doesn't work with a vulnerable woman on the phone. So then I, uh, I went ahead and did all the, the NLP. You know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be an NLP practitioner. This would be great for my business. And what actually ended up happening was I was just you know, finding my own insecurities in the back of my head and it's breaking down, crying in a room for five days rather than actually learning how to sell. And so while I learned a few communication hacks in quotations, it never really fit for me. And so I think the, the biggest thing I've done is just learn what feels like a comfortable negotiation for me in terms of just doing thousands of them, I suppose, after a few thousand uh, 
sales calls and appointments and meetings and handshakes and coffees, that sort of thing, you really start to realize that if, um, if people can't buy my services and agree with me in what the way that comes natural to me, then this is never going to work long-term. So I'm sorry that wasn't a particularly tangible answer, but uh... I think it's really interesting because, you know, once again, one of the one of the points I regularly make is that negotiation is such a key part for many of us. But most people along the way that you've done haven't had any particular structure on how to do a negotiation. Mm. I think sales courses teach negotiation in a really specific way. And sometimes it's, it's funny, I've had a lot of conversations about the difference between influence and manipulation. Mm. And to me, a lot of the sales courses are more about manipulation because to me, the difference is if I'm trying to influence you in the negotiation, I'm trying to genuinely meet your interests and get you to do something because I believe it is the right thing for you to do. Mm. If I'm trying to manipulate you, I want to get that same outcome. I want to sell that product or get you to do something. I don't care about whether it's the right thing for you to do. I just want to make the sale. And that's my concern with a lot of sales training is it's a lot more on the manipulation side than the influencing side. I don't know what your experience of the sales training was that you did. Super interesting because there's a guy in Sydney called Luke Hawkins and Luke Hawkins is an NLP hypnotherapy trainer. And it's funny because to talk to him one-on-one, he seemed like a bit of an awkward guy. You know, he's not, it doesn't seem that dynamic, but he gets on stage in front of a hundred people and he can just have everyone eating out of the palm of his hands and signing up for $10,000 products and taking away people's phobias on stage and just closing any deal. And he was saying a lot like that line from Spider-Man, like with great power comes great responsibility. And these skills that I'm giving you that he's clearly mastered, um, it's all about intention. It's all about intention. And I think influence versus manipulation is all about intention. Do you want a good outcome for this person? And so for me, that's been an easy distinction to make because I, I like to believe I'm a good person and I want good outcomes for people. However, I definitely know people and I've, I've had business clients in the past. Red flag goes up as soon as they phrase it as I'll see if I can get some money off this person rather than I'll see if I can make a deal with them. You know, the distinct, the difference there is enormous and my red flag goes up and I think like you may be good at selling, but to get money off them is not the goal here. Uh, to have a mutually beneficial outcome is the goal here. And if you're not, not seeing that, then I don't see how this is going to go well. And that guy who used to talk like that, he is out of business now. So, uh, yeah. Perhaps that's karma. So the other thing I want to ask about is obviously you're highly experienced in sales negotiations. Sure. What about other types of negotiations? How do you go when you have to negotiate for yourself or, you know, something that's out of the ordinary, perhaps a big purchase or some sort of dispute negotiation? Yeah, I think um, the biggest ones lately have been the, the common discussions that have been all over the world that have gotten extraordinarily political over the last couple of years. And it's funny, the only thing my wife and I ever disagree about is the news and politics where neither of us really, really don't care about them at all. It's just that somehow it's in the forefront of the situation these days. Yeah, I, I've noticed this year that there is a real big issue with my own, uh, I think it might be an ego thing when it comes to trying to help someone to understand your point of view and then getting defensive when they don't. 
And for me, I think I'm nowhere near as good at, at a personal negotiation than I am in a professional environment. And that's interesting that you brought that up because uh, we can make decisions about, you know, big purchases, the kids really, really easily. But when it comes to stupid stuff that doesn't yeah. matter really that much in our lives, that's when the heat comes out. And so I don't think I'm very good at it, Nicole. <laughs> I'd love to well, be better. There you go. And and look, once again, I think that's not an uncommon thing because we learn techniques that we use in business and we learn things where it's not emotional, but um, there's a different skill set in dealing with that emotional response. And, you know, once again, as, as a conflict specialist and particularly focusing on commercial conflict, there's always the um, emotional aspects of it that need to be unwound. And they're the parts that often get the blockage because people don't understand. So there yeah. you go. I'll have to, you'll have to have a look at some of my blogs. There's a few good tips um, <laughs> on there for you. That'd be fantastic. So have you, have, any, have you ever had a negotiation that's really blown up on you? The worst negotiation I can remember was probably more of an argument <laughs> than negotiation. And it was actually bilingual. We were in Italy and we we're in a situation where, where um, we purchased these train tickets that were like a, a multiple train pass ticket thing. And they got you unlimited trips to and from all these uh, spots in Italy. And we were like, okay, we're on the, on the train one day. And it was a one-stop, you know, train from across the Cinque Terre, you know, this gorgeous. Yeah, lovely, lovely stop. And these places are all a kilometre apart, but you can't walk because there's always a landfall or something. So we got the train. What do you mean? I did the whole walk. It just takes you all day. Yeah, well, when we went, there's just, there was, oh, there's another landfill between there and there, another landfill. So yeah, beautiful place. But we went this um, absolute, just rusted out train and uh, we didn't buy a ticket because we had our unlimited tickets. We got on and the... Um, Train inspector comes along and uh, he says, Bilietti, which is tickets. And we kind of showed him our pass. And um, he's like, oh, no, you got to pay for it. And I speak relatively good Italian. So we have this conversation. And uh, we're like, oh, sorry, we thought we'd pay. No, we'll just pay now. And he put like 140 euros on the thing. And we were like, this is a one minute train trip. He's like, yeah, it's a fine because you didn't, because you're trying to get through this. And I was like, um, oh, no, no, we've just misunderstood. It's a misunderstanding. We, we thought we'd paid for it. Is it possible? We're at our stop now. Can we just hop off? And we're really sorry. We understand now. And uh, he wasn't happy any bit. And he stopped the train, stopped us on the platform and wouldn't budge until we gave him 140 euros for our uh, uh, one-stop train trip. And I had a chat to him for a while and just tried to explain just the honest answer, which is we have not meant to do this Uh this has been an honest mistake. We really thought these passes were good. And he said, they're good for big trains, not little trains, whatever. And uh, I got a bit annoyed, but I was like, look, we're at our stop. I'm just going to get off the train now and we're going to go. And I said to my wife, Ali, let's roll. And I hopped off the train. And then she said, uh, Morris, which calls me Morris. <laughs> and I turned around and he had his arm around her, not letting her get off the train. And I just like started to shake and I'm not an angry guy, but I was the angriest I've ever been in any moment ever. And I started yelling at this guy in Italian. He started yelling at me back in Italian. The whole train is watching. And um, looking back, <laughs> the, uh, the, the best thing to do would have been to uh, take, take the lesson, pay the fine and let my ego take the hit. But my, my masculine, my ego came out in that, we're actually, uh, we, we may be wrong. 
but we didn't think we were wrong. Give us a break. And as I've gotten older, I realized that he's just doing his job. And I think to, to respect that rules don't come from the individual, they come from up the top. And, uh, you know, yelling at the bank teller or getting angry at the waiter for about the price of a drink is never the right thing to do. <laughs> it's yeah. always well, and it, it's interesting too. I mean, I bring all of these things back to negotiation theory and, and that to me is a perfect example where the alternatives in the negotiation, if you couldn't agree something between yourself, he was in a really strong position and you're in a really weak one. And, and you sure. know, recognising that in a negotiation is important. I had a very similar case where I got a parking fine just before Christmas because I misread the sign. I legitimately thought I was parked in the right spot. So, of course, I did the, you know, I did the thing. I, I wrote to the council and I said, please forgive me because I genuinely thought, and, of course, they went, no. So I've now paid my fine. Yeah. Very disappointing. As you said, you sort of take it on the chin and you go, lesson learned, on to next time. Yeah, I'm much more likely to own up to my mistakes these days. Yeah. By owning up to my mistakes, sometimes that actually gets you the outcome you're after because Absolutely. you've been honest and taken the ego out of the situation. And that is just a, whether it's the masculine in me or the fact that my dad's like a successful entrepreneur or the people I hang around, that there's constantly a battle to yeah. get that ego out there and win. Yep. Yeah, and if you can get that out, I think the other thing you're doing is building trust, which is absolutely critical. Yeah. Um, so if you could give listeners one key tip on how to improve their negotiation outcomes, what would it be and why? I think the, the biggest answer for that is just to truly, truly be authentic and, and honest in all these situations because anything I've learned from friends or clients or my own experiences is that you're going to get caught out by any any lie, any bit of dishonesty, any any time you try to win or pull the wool over someone's eyes in negotiation, it comes out and it's such a lot of effort to continue a lie. When you've told the truth, even if you don't get the outcome you want at the time, the, the long-term benefits in terms of not having stuff on your shoulders, not having the stress of maintaining this trickery and this deceit, it's, um, it's so much more beneficial in the end another deal will always come along another and this is in more of a sales situation but also in, in your personal life as well you know if, if I've ever um, said a white a white lie to my wife that lie will just grow into the biggest white elephant you've ever seen and I don't believe I've ever lied to a client or anything but whenever I do the wrong thing and I'm mildly dishonest the stress of that and the opportunity to get caught out just grows and that's a whole different negotiation on the other end. So I'm a big, um, a big player in the authenticity game, the honesty game. And I think that long term in life, that's always just got to be your first policy. I love it. Thanks very much, Alex. I've really enjoyed our conversation um, and I appreciate that you've come on the podcast today. Um, before we go, is there anything you'd like to tell your listeners about the services you offer and how they might come in contact with you? Absolutely. And firstly, thank you so much for having me. I, uh, I hope I've been valuable. I've really enjoyed it too. Uh, thanks for asking some really interesting questions. I, um, yeah, so I, I do run an agency called To The Moon Digital. If you're in the coaching or consulting space or any job where you really uh, provide a service and take appointments as part of your sales process, then we'd love to help you out, whether it's in a, you know, just giving you some value and some tips or taking a lot of that on board for you. So to the moon digital, Google that and we'll be there. 
Fantastic. And we'll put all your contact details in the show notes that people can access as well. Thank so, you so much. thanks again, Alex. It's been an absolute pleasure. It has. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. If you've taken away some great tips from this episode, I'd love to hear about it. So please connect with me via my website or LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to learn more tips to improve your negotiations, head to our website, nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au, where you can follow my blog, view presentations and download resource sheets. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every episode as it comes out. If you have an interesting negotiation story that you'd like to share with my audience, head to the website and complete a guest application form. Until the next episode, happy negotiating.